This week in KMA Land, fatal Shambaugh fire investigated. Car fire disrupts Page County traffic. KMA Land COVID numbers indicate uptick. Shenandoah native gives Secret Service insight. And presidential candidate Ron DeSantis visits Red Oak. I'm Mike Peterson. Firefighters in KMA Land responded to two fires in the Shambaugh area this week one involving a fatality. Crews from two area departments responded to the fire at 409 Cinder Alley in Shambaugh early Monday morning. Clarinda Fire Chief Roger Williams tells KMA News his department was dispatched to the scene shortly after 2.30 a.m. Our arrival, the residence was fully involved. The south end of the structure, the roof had already collapsed down. So we started our initial attack, and we had to get the fire knocked down if we could do any kind of search. So it took us, uh, I would say, 30 minutes to get the fire knocked down enough we could send guys inside to do a search. Brandyville's fire department responded under mutual aid. Firefighters later found a body after entering the charred structure. Williams says the house is a total loss. The south end is completely, the roof fell in and completely gone. Uh, the rest of the house sustained substantial heat, heat damage throughout the house and uh, uh, the floor was not uh, pretty pretty unsafe to travel into, but we had to make sure we went through, make sure that uh, nobody was in there, and uh, unfortunately there was. William says it's believed the fire started in the structure's dining room kitchen area. The victim's identity and cause of the fire has not been determined as of late this week. The Page County Sheriff's Office says the body was sent to the state medical examiner's office for identification and autopsy. The state fire marshal's office and the sheriff's office are still investigating the fire. Clarenda EMS and Mid-American Energy assisted firefighters at the scene. Clarenda's fire department battled another fire this week, one which engulfed a semi-trailer fire near Shambaugh, temporarily closing down U.S. Highway 71. Fire Chief Roger Williams tells KMA News crews were called out shortly after 5 a.m. Wednesday to reports of a semi-truck on fire on 71 north of 310th Street. The trailer was going pretty good when we got there in the process of trying to put that out. We had to block both lanes, and the DOT got called to help. It's going to be a while because the load had to be uh, offloaded to somewhere else. The DOT got called to redirect traffic for a while, so it last 71 was shut down for a little while. The Braddyville Fire Department also responded under mutual aid. The Iowa Department of Transportation's 511 Traveler Information website says traffic was initially blocked in both directions around County Roads J-52 and J-40. The fire chief says the trailer suffered significant damage. After initially clearing the scene shortly after 7 a.m., Williams adds his crews returned to the vehicle around 10 a.m. to assist with a few remaining hot spots. They were offloaded, and uh, there were still some hot spots in the back. And we went back and spent about 10 minutes extinguishing those, and they were still trying to offload that trailer. I think one lane was, was open at that time. DOT officials say 71 was reopened in both directions of traffic early Wednesday afternoon. Williams adds no first responders were injured during the incident and no other injuries were reported. Local health officials indicated COVID-19 rearing its ugly head in KMA land this week. Samantha Beeson is Montgomery County's Public Health Administrator and Page County's Interim Public Health Administrator. Though limited information was available, Beeson tells KMA News there were signs of an uptick in COVID cases in both counties. Through the data tracker um, on the CDC website, the data only goes through September 2nd as of now, um, and those were low-level transmissions. Then according to the state's flu report for the last week, 
or two weeks ago because their data is a week behind. It is starting to slowly pick back up in both counties. Beeson says symptoms of this latest strand of COVID could mirror those of other illnesses experienced this time of year. A lot of people have presented symptoms of just kind of your common cold or allergies. And we all know this time of year, everybody's allergies get bad as we get closer to harvest. So just kind of be diligent still about washing your hands and just kind of monitoring your symptoms. Though the Centers for Disease Control recommends persons age 6 and over receive the latest COVID vaccine, Beeson says the shot distribution policy has changed. Since the pandemic started and the vaccine rollout happened, the local public health offices have been ordering vaccine for all the clinics in their county. Just recently, as of September 11th, the state has now privatized the vaccine, so every clinic will do their own ordering of the vaccine and your local public health office will provide vaccine for those who are underinsured or have no insurance. Beeson says individuals with medical insurance in need of the additional vaccination should contact their local health care provider or pharmacy. Shenandoah residents this week received insight on the U.S. Secret Service's operations. For more than two decades, John Bay helped protect the President of the United States and was an eyewitness to history. Bay's experience was the subject of Greater Shenandoah Historical Museum presentation Sunday afternoon. A 1962 Shenandoah High School graduate, Bay earned a Bachelor of Music degree from the University of Iowa in 1967 and a Master's degree in Criminology and Constitutional Law from Wichita State University in 1986. Bay served in the U.S. Army from 1967 to 71 before joining the Secret Service. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program recently, Bay says he originally considered a career with the FBI. While I was in the Army, a friend of mine had made application uh, to the Secret Service, and I had made application to the FBI and was accepted. They had done a background investigation on me, and I had been accepted by the FBI. He got a hold of me, and he said, whoa, he said, hold on. He said, I think you better look at the Secret Service. So I did and changed courses, and I'm grateful to this day that I <laughs> that I did. Bay Surge in the Secret Service from 1971 to 93, working at field offices in Denver, Washington, D.C., Kansas City, and Omaha. From 1973 to 78, Bay worked at the White House in the Presidential Protection Division. He says that he was there in August of 1974 when Richard Nixon resigned as president. Bay describes that moment in history and the weeks leading up to Nixon's departure as surreal. I had a parking spot uh, on the uh, street between the executive office building and the White House and I'd get out of my car uh, to go to work. And uh, there were people that were camped, literally camped on the sidewalk on Pennsylvania Avenue. And, And in those days you could do that. But they were camped there and they would camp there for weeks. And it was just really a morbid, morbid feeling. Bay was with President Gerald Ford in Sacramento on September 5th, 1975, when Manson family member Lynette Squeaky Fromm attempted to assassinate him. Bay was with President Gerald Ford in Sacramento on September 5, 1975, when Manson family member Lynette Squeaky Fromm attempted to assassinate him. Ford was making an unscheduled walk across a park when fellow Special Agent Larry Buendorf prevented Fromm from firing. When you have a, a movement like that, you work in a formation, it's the same as a football team would have a certain formation for a play. And he spotted a female that was kind of walking along, paralleling our, our path, and she was dressed 
inappropriately for a summer day. She had on a long white, not white, I'm sorry, red robe for some reason. Uh, and he was watching her and watching her. And so he saw her pull out this gun and he reacted immediately. Weeks later, Bay was protecting First Lady Betty Ford during a second attempt on the president's life by Sarah Jane Moore in San Francisco on September 22, 1975. Bay says FBI agents interviewed Moore the day before the incident. It's disclosed that she was an FBI informant, and they vouched for her. They vouched for her, you know, that uh, she's, uh, you know, she's, she's, she's okay. She, you know, no, nothing to worry about here, nothing to see. Well, come to find out, she had bought, I believe it was a thirty-eight revolver that afternoon, that which was never disclosed. It shot high, luckily, uh, but she did take a shot at the president when he was coming out of the hotel. Six years later, President Ronald Reagan was wounded in an attempt outside the Washington Hilton. Because of those incidents, bases the Secret Service became less dependent on other agencies for information. Technology has changed greatly. We all know that. But the principles of security stay the same. They still stay the same. The principles that were in effect then are still the principles that work today. But I think that I think the biggest impact was we became less reliant on other agencies to furnish us you know, pertinent information on people and in making threat assessments. After leaving the White House detail, Bay worked undercover investigating counterfeit cases out of the agency's Kansas City office, then was assigned to the office in Grand Junction, Colorado. Bay left the Secret Service in 1993 after being injured while assisting a Washington police officer in an altercation with a suspect. One by one, presidential candidates are making their way to KMA land in advance of January's Iowa caucuses. Sounding familiar GOP campaign themes, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis called for action on the border and age limits for those wishing to run for president during a meeting green event at the Montgomery County History Center in Red Oak last Saturday morning. Covering various topics, DeSantis spent a reasonable amount of time criticizing the Biden administration and past presidents for the handling of the U.S.-Mexico border. Calling it a day one issue, DeSantis says he would officially declare a national emergency on the border. We're going to mobilize resources, including our military, to be at the border. We're going to stop the invasion. We're not going to allow the bogus asylum claims. They can wait in Mexico. We're going to stop that. We will build a border wall because I think it is important to be able uh, to stop. Uh, But the thing that I'm uh, willing to do that other presidents have not been willing to do, and even these candidates, uh, we are going to hold the Mexican drug cartels accountable for what they are doing to our people. And that means we will use deadly force against the Mexican drug cartels. DeSantis, who recently won the governor's race in Florida in 2022, is one of 12 candidates running for the Republican nomination, including former President Donald Trump. Saying it's no longer a border state issue, DeSantis referenced recent comments from New York City Mayor Eric Adams concerned about the recent influx of migrants. You actually have the mayor now of New York City, liberal mayor, having to say that this open border is destroying the city because it is. You can't do this. So we see just the sheer number of people is too much. And even if they were all legal, you can't absorb that many people coming into this country. DeSantis also called for age limits for those wishing to run for president to the U.S. That comes as the Democrat incumbent Joe Biden sits at 80 years old and Trump 
The current GOP frontrunner is not far behind at 77 years old. Father time is undefeated. Father Time just simply works his will. That's the reality of the situation. I think if the founders could be here today and they could witness this and then go back to Philadelphia in 1787, I think they would have put an age limit. I do think they would have done that because um, they have an age minimum. And so they recognize that you needed to have a certain amount of maturity. DeSantis feels a younger individual has a better shot at delivering eight years in the White House, which he says is needed to enact real change. DeSantis also called for further legislation to increase the country's energy independence, called out both Republican and Democrats for adding to the national debt, and floated the idea of term limits for U.S. Congress. Iowa Agriculture Secretary Mike Nigg heard from farmers and ag officials in KMA land this week. Nag visited several counties in KMA land, including a stop in Essex early Thursday afternoon to tour the new cooperative location just off Highway 48. Earlier this year, the Red Oak-based United Farmers Cooperative merged with new, bringing its sites, including Essex, under the new name. Nick Crybiel is the Southern District Manager for New Co-op, which covers south of Interstate 80 between the Missouri River and just east of Interstate 35. After a merger study done earlier this year, Crybill tells KMA News United Farmers garnered enough votes from its membership to carry out the merger. You have to meet a certain threshold for the vote, and it was a vote um, for the members of United Farmers Co-op that they agreed that they wanted to be a part of, of new co-op. And um, they voted in favor of it, and the merger went live on September 1st. So it's still a, a pretty new new entity, and we're working out the kinks and, and doing the best we can. While in Essex, Neg visited with new cooperative workers and representatives ranging from the workforce and early yields from farmers to drought conditions and harvest preparations. Neg also stressed the importance of places like the Essex new location for area producers and the local economy in a time-sensitive industry. These locations really provide such an important service, both on the input side and on the grain handling side. It really when it comes down to what's what's one of the most important things and that's do we have markets for our products do we have markets for our crops and so here you've got a location that that uh, you know hauls both to uh, uh, purchases grain here for the export market but also uh, for processing locally at ethanol plants and feed mills who also made stops in taylor adams fremont mills and cass counties Help is on the way for Page County's Board of Supervisors. By a two-to-one vote Thursday evening, the supervisors hired Clarinda resident Cindy Van Fossen as a part-time administrative assistant to the board for $10 an hour. By a similar two-to-one vote, the supervisors had approved advertising the position back in August. Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes outlined the job description for Van Fossen's position, which would primarily handle clerical duties for the board. Our main duty would be making an agenda, and uh, that's what the auditor office was doing, and now we're going to have somebody do that for us. Uh, when we put this ad up, it's up to $10 an hour is what we're going to pay for this. And so we had two really, really good applications with Highly qualified people willing to help us for a very reasonable rate. During the public comment period, Clarinda resident and former supervisor Elaine Armstrong told the board this position was unnecessary. I feel it is a waste of time and money. Also, I found out today that each of you are now paid $38,102 in salary plus about another third in benefits, and that should adequately provide 
for the time that is needed for this job. Supervisor Judy Clark voted against the move, saying the board should be able to handle putting together the agenda. I once again um, disapprove of doing anything like this. You're doing the agenda. As Elaine said, we all earn plenty of money, so one of us could do the agenda without paying somebody else. Regarding funding, Holmes initially pointed to a $3,000 budget for the auditor's office to add extra clerical help, but Clark said that's typically reserved for additional support during elections as needed. Thus, Holmes says the plan would be to place the cost for the position under the supervisor's budget. Holmes adds he would work with the auditor's office to formulate a budget amendment and have Van Fossen come in for the necessary paperwork and training. Red Oak school officials continue to explore future facility upgrades. On Wednesday night, architect Derek O'Neill with Ollie Pointer Macanto Architecture met with the Red Oak School Board to discuss the cost projections on some of the projects identified in the district's long-range strategic facilities plan. O'Neill's been working with the district since the summer of 2022 to formulate the plan, identifying a few possible improvements at Inman Elementary School. O'Neill says those proposals range from creating a gymatorium space to adding additional classrooms. Just the stage component, um, the median price, that's a $928,000 budget line item to add that stage on the west end of the gym. The five classroom addition, that's a $2.3 million budget line item. O'Neill says the proposed addition of 3,500 square feet and renovation of the existing cafeteria space would cost around $1.7 million. Additionally, O'Neill outlined a roughly $481,000 cost to upgrade to a secure entryway at the front of the building and up to $467,000 in renovations for the school's administrative offices. The concept would be as visitors come into the building, there's a reception office right there that they have to go into that office and check in without getting into the, to the right. rest of the school. This piece, the existing admin, if that needs renovation after we do this, that's what that other placeholder number is. However, he notes the price of the admin renovations could fluctuate depending on how the school plans to utilize the space. O'Neill adds now is the time to begin collecting input from individuals who would use the new space. So the, the next step in any of that would be uh, going through some design exercises with the, the staff at Inman uh, and working through exactly you know what, what they want for, how they want to use that space, how that space would be um, better utilized when you have, when you have more space in the same amount of students. Also proposed are nearly $5.2 million of athletic facilities upgrades, including an expansion and renovation of the football field and track at the current site, a new field house, relocating the baseball field to the junior-senior high school complex, and replacing it at Legion Park with a soccer field and paving roughly a third of the current gravel parking lot. And that wraps up another edition of This Week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.
This has been a presentation of KMA News.